If you're enjoying this Med Prep to Go Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Crush Step 1 podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. I'm Dr. Raj, quadruple board certified doctor in pulmonary, critical care, sleep medicine, and internal medicine. My passion is teaching. I teach USMLE step one, two, three, and some internal medicine board review. And my website is Beyond the Pearls. You can check out beyondthepearls.net, check out Beyond the Pearls podcast. But today I'm here because of Med Prep to Go, and this is the Med Prep to Go podcast. And I will be reviewing USMLE step one questions. In fact, I'll be reviewing questions from microbiology today, three questions in a row. So to get more questions, go to our website, www.medprep2go.com. So this is a free audio and online question bank. If you wanna learn more about me, well, you know what? I already gave you my website, beyondthepearls.com and definitely check me out on all the social media platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it, I'm on there. And now let's get to these questions. So the first one is going to be a 68-year-old man presents to the emergency department with a four-day history of comp productive of rust-colored sputum. A little cliche right there, but of course you say rust-colored on the board exams, I'm gonna throw out some strep new mom. You know, that's just me. That's just me. I'm throwing it out there. You know what I'm saying? Because once if you throw out a little currant jelly, mean what kind of you know bacteria do you think about then? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, that's like a Klebsiella, right? But anyways, back to this person. He's experiencing dyspnea, fever with chills, a sharp left side of chest pain during inspiration kind of pleuritic uh, with some coughing. Past medical history is significant for hypertension, peripheral arterial disease, and gout. Maybe some podagra of the big toe. Uh, he smokes 10 cigarettes a day and does not drink alcohol. You know why he doesn't drink alcohol, folks? Because he's got gout. <laughs> he works uh, part-time as a music teacher and as a janitor and lives with his wife and two cats. Final signs show tachycardia, tachypnea with a normal blood pressure. Physical exam reveals at the left lung base when they're auscultating, you know, probably findings of maybe some, you know, consolidation. Maybe they had some orgophony, you know, some E to A stuff, maybe some decreased uh, tactile fremditis when you're throwing out the 99s. Cardiac exam reveals tachycardia and normal heart sounds. The abdominal exam is normal. A chest x-ray is ordered, as you should. Gram stain of the sputum reveals gram-positive lancet-shaped diplococci. And the patient started on an antibiotic that inhibits peptidoglycan transpeptidase. Which of the following is the most likely antibiotic? And the choices are A, amoxicillin, B, doxycycline, C, levofloxacine, leviquin for the brand name, uh, D, linezolid, and E, vancomycin. And of course, you know, you got to throw out a little awkward silence in there. And the right answer here is going to be A, amoxicillin. So before I, I read the answer and all, remember what the question was asking, folks. I mean, what antibiotic inhibits peptidoglycan transpeptidase? Because 
If you folks are super duper clinical, I mean, when we're thinking about strep pneumo, which is one of the most common causes of what? Community acquired pneumonia, if the not most common cause of community acquired pneumonia. I mean, a lot of these could probably cover it. In fact, we use uh, levofloxacin, levoquin all the time as monotherapy when we talk about covering typical and atypical bacteria. And of course, even though I wouldn't throw out the big guns, of course, linezolid and vancomycin, we save them for resistant MRSA bugs, but they could definitely cover gram-positive cocci, you know what I mean? So you got to read the question well and not answer. Clinically, they wanted the drug that, you know, it's US assembly step one, what can I say, that inhibits peptidoglycan transpeptidase. So of course, we're thinking A. So this patient has the bacterial pneumonia, most likely caused by strep pneumonia. Uh, the key hints to this are the rust-colored sputum and the gram-positive lancet-shaped diplococci on the gram stain. Cephalosporins and penicillins inhibit transpeptidase that catalyzes the first step in cell wall uh, biosynthesis, the cross-linking of peptidoglycan. Amoxicillin has this mix of action and is active against strep pneumonia. Doxycycline binds to the 3DS subunit of the bacterial ribosome and prevents attachment of amino acid transfer RNA. Levofloxin is a fluoroquinolone that inhibits prokaryotic topoisomerase 2, also known as DNA gyrase. Uh, Linezolid binds to the 50S subunit of bacterial ribosome and prevents the initiation complex. Vancomycin inhibits the synthesis polymerization of peptidoglycan in the bacteria cell wall. So learning points here, folks. Penicillins and cephalosporins, we know are beta-lactam drugs, work by inhibiting transpeptidase that catalyzes the final step in cell wall biosynthesis, the cross-ligging of peptidoglycan. Next question. We have a 28-year-old woman presents to the emergency department complaining of diarrhea with mild abdominal pain for the past two days. Um, she describes the diarrhea as being watery and non-bloody. She also notes that she has had a decreased appetite since around the time the symptoms began. She reports that she recently returned from a trip to Thailand where she sampled a significant amount of local street food. Uh, red flag there. You I mean, anytime you're taking a board exam and it's kind of like a diarrhea question, it says patient goes to a picnic. Anytime you go to a picnic on the boards, you're screwed. It's done. You know, just like this, sampling the local cuisine. <laughs> That's kind of the buzzword for um, street food for, uh-oh, something bad is not happening. It's, it's going to happen here. Uh, her vital signs, temperature is 98.7, blood pressure is 122 over 62, heart rate of 64, and respiration is at 18 on exam. She appears healthy. The abdominal exam is without guarding or focal tenderness to palpation. Gram stain of the stool reveals gram negative rods. Which of the following media and findings would correctly identify this organism? So this is classic step one question, knowing the the media, the cultures to help identify the bugs you suspect. So would it be Eosin methylene blue EMB yogurt? And there's gonna be some black colonies. Would it be the Hectoin, H-E-K-T-O-E-N auger with some green colonies? Would it be McConkie auger, extremely mucoid colonies, or McConkie auger, pig colonies? So sometimes, you know, I hate to say it, you got to memorize this out. So this one's going to be what? D is in dog, McConkie auger with pink colonies. So the first step is to consider microorganisms that cause watery diarrhea. So of course, we think about vivo cholera. You know what I mean? She did go to Thailand, so it could be 
you know, based on the CDC, you know, guidance when you go to foreign countries, cholera could be something there. Uh, C. diff, well, only C. diff when you think about what, you know, taking some antibiotics. I didn't really catch that in the history here. And of course, enterotoxic E. coli. So, vibro cholera causes severe voluminous watery diarrhea with a distinct characteristic whitish cloudy rice water appearance. Patients affected with this organism lose an incredible amount of fluid in the process and without prompt and proper treatment may die. While this patient does have watery diarrhea, it's not as severe as it would be in the case of an infection with febrile cholera. And the patient certainly would not show up looking healthy. C. diff causes pseudomembranous colitis, which results, you know, it can be watery, but it also can be bloody. And it really depends. And C. diff can really do a number on you. It can cause toxic megacolon. Uh, this can be marked off on a differential because, number one, it is not a gram, pos- a gram negative rod. It is a gram positive. ETEC is associated with so-called traveler's diarrhea. It presents as watery diarrhea of the milder course than that of vibral cholera. Patients may complain of abdominal pain, loss of appetite, fever, nausea, and bloating. Given the history of the patient who recently traveled overseas and the relatively mildness of her symptoms, it can be inferred, concluded that it might be an ETEC infection. Many bacteria invade the GI tract, so determining the specific cause of a diarrheal illness takes some knowledge of selective and differential media, as well as the microorganism characteristics. The enterics, as they are often called, are all gram-negative rods, which may be curved or comma-shaped. Each has specific properties which can be utilized to differentiate one from another. Special media include McConkie auger to differentiate lactose fermenters from non-lactose fermenters. Indicator in the auger turns pink in the presence of lactose fermentation. Eosin methylene blue the auger is also used to differentiate lactose fermenters from non-lactose fermenters. In this case, lactose fermenters produce a purple or black colonies. The hectone enteric auger is used to differentiate shingella from salmonella on the basis of H2S production. And TSI, triple sugar iron slate, is used to differentiate microorganisms which do not or do fermate sugars and or produce H2S, which are aerobic and anaerobic. So in this question, answer A is incorrect. As explained above, EMB auger is used to differentiate lactose from non-lactose fermenters, but specifically E. coli produces metallic green colonies rather than purple or black colonies. Answer B is incorrect. As explained above, the hectoin auger is used to differentiate shingella and salmonella, neither of which are the causative organism in this vignette. Shingella produces green colonies on Hectonin auger, while salmonella produces black colonies. Answer C is incorrect. While E. coli does grow on McConkie auger, it does not produce mucoid colonies. This is particular characteristic of Klebsiella pneumoniae, a gram-negative rod more associated with pneumonia and nosocomial urinary tract infections. So learning point here is E. coli, specifically enterotoxigenic E. coli, causes traveler's diarrhea, a relatively rapid onset, mild watery diarrhea, which tends to resolve on its own. Patients with traveler's diarrhea may present with symptoms following their period of travel or during. 
Other symptoms may include abdominal pain, lack of appetite, nausea, and bloating. It is important to note differences between this and watery diarrhea caused by vivo cholera, which causes a severe watery diarrhea, which can be fatal if left untreated. And let's do one last question. So this is going to be a 16-year-old boy presents to the emergency department with severe right ear pain, itching, and discharge for three days. He reports sleeping on his left side since the onset of symptoms. He denies fevers and changes in his hearing. He is a three-sport athlete and is presently in swimming season. He denies any trauma to the air. His temperature is 99.5, pulse is 86, and blood pressure is 100 over 70. Physical exam is significant for tenderness with targal pressure in an indemnous and erythematous external auditory canal. Which of the following is the most likely etiology of the patient's symptoms? Is it A, bacteroides, B, candida albicans, C, pseudomonas, D, staphylococcus aureus, E, staphylococcus epidermidis? And the right answer is, you know, given the fact that we're talking about swimming in the presentation, that the correct answer has to be C, pseudomonas. This patient presents with pain and irritation of the external auditory canal, and a history of recent water activity likely has otida externa, which is most frequently caused by pseudomonas in around 30 to 40% of cases. Now, otitis externa can be differentiated from otitis media because of the involvement of the external auditory canal and worsening pain with tugging on the ear. But of course, the tympanic membrane needs to be visualized. And the tympanic membrane may be erythematous in otitis externa, though the presence of a air fluid level along the tympanic membrane indicates a middle ear effusion and likely otitis media. Answer A, bacteroides species is incorrect. Anaerobic pathogens are present in 4 to 25% of cases of otitis externa and bacteroides and peptostreptococcus are the most frequently involved anaerobe. Answer B, candida albicans is incorrect. Fungal infections account for around 2 to 10% of cases of otitis externa and typically occur after treatment of a bacterial otitis externa. Candidal infections classically occur more often in patients who wear hearing aids. Answer D, Staphylococcus aureus is incorrect. Staph aureus represents approximately 8% of cases of otitis externa. And choice E, Staphylococcus epidermidis is incorrect. Staphylococci, as well as other aerobic and anaerobic bacteria, normally colonize the external auditory canal. Staph epidermidis is one of the most common species, which is a normal colonizer of the external canal. So what's the learning point here, everyone? Uh, Pseudomonas is the most common cause of otitis externa, which typically presents with ear pain, itching, discharge, and hearing loss if the canal is edematous and narrowed. Physical findings include pain with target pressure, as well as edema and erythema of the external auditory canal. And those are our three questions. I encourage everyone to check out www.medprep2go.com.